Blue Wire Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to a, you know, it's your Sunday crossover edition. Keeping this thing rolling. Myself, Jake Burns, OBR Film Breakdown, Brad Ward, all eyes on Cleveland. Obviously, all under the OBR umbrella here. We are doing a Things I Think I Know About the Cleveland Browns edition, which comes on Free Agency Eve is what we have to call it, which to me is there are three really awesome days in the NFL calendar. Probably you could say four, Brad. It would be the kickoff, the tampering day of free agency when it starts on the Monday because it's just really fun to follow along. Draft day, obviously, the multiple draft days. The first weekend of the season, right? Opening weekend of the NFL season and then the Super Bowl. Like those are the wild card weekend in there too. I'm getting really spreading spreading it out a little bit there. But there's just, we're coming up on one of the great days of the NFL calendar. Free agency is, you know, hope springs eternal. All that stuff comes into play. You, you, You really like feel like your team's going to get a chance to improve here. And it's one of the few chances, obviously, to improve. You're looking back, but you're now able to look forward and reshape what the team will look like. And it's an exciting time. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is obviously tied into what's coming on Monday. Or if you're listening to this on Monday, what's coming within the next few hours, which is we do get to the legal tampering period where teams will go out, make agreements, League year doesn't start until the 15th, so nothing officially gets put pen to paper until the 15th, but you do get the agreements, and that's the fun stuff. You're refreshing Twitter like crazy, which, again, (laughs) is another piece of what we will talk about here in just a little bit. So it's fun stuff, right? It's got a lot of optimism. The Browns have still not done, as we sit here on recording this Saturday at 9 o'clock, have not formally put out their restructures. Now, a reminder about this, uh, our guys over at Over the Cap let us know that some teams will wait until – the four o'clock deadline on the 15th, which is going to be a couple days after the legal tampering period to put this information out there that they restructure deals. And with that, you will see teams who are air quotes still listed as over the cap. The Browns currently are listed as 14 million over the cap. If you're a, a sort of casual follower or a follower of another team and you're looking and you see the Browns make these multiple agreements, you're going to be like, how on earth are they able to do this? It doesn't make any sense. They're over the cap. Well, They'll figure it out, right? And this is what they said about the situation over there is that they will still list some teams over the cap even past the 4 o'clock deadline because teams haven't put it in formally. As long as they get it done before the 15th at 4 o'clock, nothing matters. So the Browns will obviously be waiting until the last minute because what they're probably doing, my opinion here, Brad, is keeping everything close to the vest. They're trying to say, who knows how much money we have to play around with? We don't want right. teams to know what our figure is until we absolutely have to put our figure out there. So they are being very strategic about this decision to hold off. And I, I applaud them for it. They're, they're going to be uh, kind of, uh, I think, not deceptive here, but I do think they want to keep teams guessing about, hey, if it's a Draymond Jones or it's a whoever, right? Could be all the way down to Okoronkwa, who we posted about today. What do the Browns actually have to offer these players? That's a little bit of the Jedi mind trick stuff they're trying to do here leading up to that 4 o'clock window on the 15th. You know what I mean? Yeah, so uh, this is totally like Christmas uh, Christmas Eve kind of, right? Like I'm super fired up about this. This offseason is critical, vital, as vital as I can remember. Uh, like I don't ever want I don't want the Browns to go have to search for a new coach. I don't want the, us to look foolish with Deshaun Watson like this. There's so much on the line here. So these next few days are huge and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I think they're going to be active for sure. Uh, they have to be, uh, in my opinion. Uh, to your point about the cap, you know, 
those concerned, I will say this, and, and it, a lot of this will be in my article tomorrow, so check out my Things I Think I Know article at the OBR, which will be very free agency-based. Uh, but two two moves, Deshaun Watson and Garrett gets you from minus 14 to plus 34 million uh, available. So, I mean, they could do two restructures and get to about $30 million in cap space to spend. So, easy, I mean, I think- easy peasy. Yeah, for sure. Most teams in the NFL have looked at the Browns situation and they see what we see. It's not a secret. They know, but the Browns are at least trying to uh, finagle the guessing game a little bit. So teams have to prepare as much as possible. And I don't blame them for doing it, because if you say we only have 30 million versus 60 million, some teams could start to guess how much you're going to spend on certain players and map it out when they because I promise you, as teams are mapping out what they're going to offer, they they have an idea of who's in the mix and they have an idea of what the thresholds and they've mapped it out or guessed it out of the thresholds by which teams will pursue. So all of that will certainly sort itself out. Do not panic about it. It could happen as soon as we get off this podcast, or it could happen uh, just after, you know, the public announcement could come after four o'clock on the 15th, but they will work it out. They have a plan and it's very obvious that they're going to be aggressive. That part of which uh, I understand and I trust they are going to be aggressive. Now we're going to do as we always do on this podcast, which is talk to you about things we think we know, not things we know we know, Things we think we know. And I have a take, Brad, here is I'll start and then we'll do yours in just a moment. All three of these things, Brad's got two, I have one, I think are very prudent to the free agency discussion. I think mine kind of ties into what we're talking about here with conjecture. I think the thing that's going on right now is I think I know that nobody knows, Brad, which sounds stupid. But what I'm saying is nobody really knows what the Browns are going to do. And I have layers to my belief system here. Partly evidence over the last few years. There's not very there's not a whole lot of people that have known the moves they're going to make. Right. The, the, the discussion around Baker Mayfield, he's gone all of a sudden. They go out and they're after Deshaun Watson. The decision to trade back. Nobody saw that coming. Getting Martin Emerson. Very few people had an idea that selection was going to happen or that he was even on their radar. There are like the Amari Cooper trade again. And, and dating back even to the first Andrew Barry run of free agency with Austin Hooper and Jack Conklin, people knew the things they were searching for, but there wasn't a ton of smoke that they were going to come out swinging the way they did. And really what's happening here is a dying uh, or a, I don't know if dying is the right word, but certainly a fading importance of the insider. Because to me, there used to be a time where you figured out the Browns signed X player, say Paul Kruger. I don't know what year that was. That was a, that was over a decade ago. The mm. bigger names that they go out and sign. You used to hear about these things in different ways than Twitter or an alert to your cell phone from a major uh, writing outlet such as like Bleacher Report that has alerts or ESPN that has alerts. You used to get this from like your local newspaper, your local radio station, your local uh, TV station. It was not an instantaneously known thing who the Browns went out and signed. The way nowadays we have it like it's there. It's done. We know it. And the difference is back in the day, and really this dates back to some OBR history, Brad. Back in the day when forums were pretty popular, think about like 2006 to 2012 before Twitter took off because 2009 to 2013 was just a Twitter oasis. It's hilarious to go back and look at Twitter in those times. Like – there used to be a, a window where if you knew somebody in the organization, whether it's a low-level person, employee, whatever, it was just it was a lot more relationship building. 
And there was a lot less worry about information leaking out of the building or a less tangible way to track it. Put it that way. So if you knew somebody that said, hey, actually, hey, we got an agreement, a fax over, we got an agreement with Paul Kruger, you could have a chance to put that on a message board that the Browns are set to announce in the next 24 hours that they have an agreement with Paul Kruger and be right. You had actual, tangible insider information that mattered. Now, everything because of Twitter and the surrounding applications, it's all instantaneous. And I'm sure, as you would agree, Brad, iPhones and everything make it so that everything in our lives happen and we know about the happenings of it right away. And what happens is these agents find information. They get the information. My guy agrees to a deal. They shoot it over to Schefter. They shoot it over to Rappaport. They shoot it over to Josina Anderson, whoever, and it's out there. It's quick. So there is no better insider information as to what actually happened when it happened than Twitter. Now, what also happens, you don't see local people break signings anymore. It's not a thing. It's just not a thing. But everybody also wants to have an idea of what's going to be made, the decisions that are going to be made ahead of time. And really, when you look at that, it doesn't take much to come up with the answers about what a team's going to do. We got a lot more smart people covering these teams than we used to. And if you see the Browns roster, John Johnson's gone. They're probably going to be in on every safety. They're going to call, contact, and gauge every safety. So if I know Jesse Bates is the top free agent out there at the position, Browns are going to be in. They're going to call. Does that mean that they're going to sign Jesse Bates? No. The real news is if you said the Browns plan to offer Jesse Bates top of the safety market contract. That's news. That's an actual put-yourself-out-there type of news. Not saying the Browns are going to be in the mix for Jesse Bates. Well, no shit. Okay, Mm -hmm. if they weren't calling Jesse Bates, I would have an issue with that. And it's the same for everything. So as we see people say Ethan Posich is set to be in the mix for a return to the Browns again, no offense, but no shit. They're going to talk to him and say, hey, we see you about seven million. We can handle afford that. And the Chicago Bears call and say, we'll pay you ten five. He's a Chicago Bear. That's more than likely how it's going to go. And all you have to do is if he goes to the Bears, you say, well, the Browns are in the mix. That's all I said. And it doesn't take much to bend things semantically to just throw names out there. And it doesn't even mean you're wrong. It just means it's easy to do. Hey, big name defensive ends, big name defensive tackles. Those are what the Browns clearly need. And that's all we've seen is just name throwing at the positions they need, which isn't hard to me. Now, if you said Browns plan to be all in in the tackle market, They plan to be going after free agent tackles in order to challenge or replace Jedrick Wills. That is interesting. That's new. We don't have Mm -hmm. any of that. All we have, Brown's obvious position of need, big name free agents, Brown's are connected to them. Again, no shit. They're going to be gauging the market of all these guys. Does not mean they sign them. And what the insider, air quotes, insider game has turned into is just say the name, link the name, and then you're like, well, the Bra- oh, so no, no, the Browns are in the mix for Jesse Bates. Browns are in the mix for, um, you know, whoever Marcus Davenport. Hargrave. Browns are in the yeah. mix for Hargrave. It's not yeah. hard, and it's and you're not wrong. You can you can bend the words to make it so you're not wrong. You're not actually providing insight, and we have gotten very little of that. And again, you might ask, well, why? Well, why would the Browns want the public to know who they're really chasing and who they're really not? There is zero benefit of that. 
So that stuff, like your frame, the people who have their mind framed around the, the the organizations or NFL working that way anymore, it's not, it's not there. There was so little buzz about a Carolina Bears trade from nine to one. It's a massive trade, and then just boom, trades made. It's just, yep. it's just it, the way it works anymore. Is there's not a bunch of leaking to people who run message boards or whatever. It's just it's very insider fed and there's it's, it's very formulaic these days. So my general point here, Brad, and I'll let you respond is nobody knows. We know the positions they need us here at the OBR trying to lay out a probability scale for you based on what we think they're looking at and give you an idea of who they're most likely to go after. But I guarantee you they have gauged the market of all of these guys at the positions they want to go after. So I have yet to see much information out there that tells me what actual way the Browns are leaning. I have no idea. And again, you can say, well, there's been a lot of Jesse Bates smoke. Again, no shit, man. The mm -hmm. Bengals are worried about losing him in the division. So they're going to post teams in the division that are chasing him. They're going to talk about their free agent leaving. So the Browns are going to say they're after the biggest free agent at the position. It's just A plus B equals C stuff. Like it's not difficult to do. So the thing I have given up on a long time ago is caring about this stuff. Like, I just want to tell you who I like, and then I'm going to tell you why they signed him or, or when it happened. That's all. That's all that it's. It's like we just yeah. want to know what the the Christmas present's going to be before it gets here, and that's just not the way this whole thing works anymore. You don't have the insight into these decisions, and why would you? Why would you want your team giving that? Because that is so silly to have out there in the public, in my opinion. Yeah, correct. Uh, they, um, what we're getting is exactly we're getting the, the exciting names in the positions that they know they need, and nobody is ever, and nobody's going out on a limb and saying anything of significance. It's just, uh, I mean, stuff that we've been writing about for months. Like, like people are acting like this stuff is news. But really, we've been covering these names for months and months because it's obvious that these names are in play, right? Like this, <laughs> it's not news, but um, like, uh, you know, locally here, uh, the local beat throughout like four receiver names, Shark, uh, Hardman, Cooks. And somebody else, like, well, like to your point, no shit. Like, I, I, those are the obvious ones. I mean, those are the clearly the most obvious guys. Uh, you know, uh, Campbell. They they all have speed. They all fit the prototype of what we think they need. It's just A plus B plus B to C plus C to your point. So nobody knows. Um, and the funny know, thing is, Brad, they go. They, they, no one had said a single word about Odell Beckham and the Browns until the other day. No one had said that these two have been talking until the other day when they, they, they are on the list up. of teams at his workout. So, of course, after that happens, you're probably going to put something out there that the Browns have been in conversations with Odell Beckham and talked to his people and know what is more. Why they wouldn't show up to the workout unless they had some level of interest or have had sure. talks with him in some way, shape or form. That's just as a person consuming football facts. You should know that. So yeah. it's not news. It's not news that they would have had conversations with Odell. Now, if we got buzz or word or somebody putting their name behind Browns plan to make an offer to Odell Beckham this offseason. That's news. Now, you, you that is news. But be, but again, you, you might not end up being the, the Browns might not end up signing him. 
but you're putting it out there that the Browns made an offer. That's news. That's an actual thing. Just being there and saying that they've been talking, yeah, that's that's pretty yeah. obvious. Or, I don't think they would have showed up without contacting his agent to say, hey, we're going to show up, or they wouldn't have known where to show up. They they right. they have clearly had some contact with him in this yeah. whole thing. So, you know, I, I don't I don't it is it is uh it's just where the game is gone. And I think people still crave that that I want to know ahead of time game. And it's like, that's just not the game in the, in the market anymore. And uh, I just kind of wanted to put that out because I feel pretty strongly about that. I, I mean, of course, I don't know if anybody in the market is having these conversations over drinks with people. And I want to mm. believe that that wouldn't be the case anymore because I, again, I don't want my team telling media members what the plan is for the media members to write about. I don't They're mind not. it after the fact. If you if you if you see Jesse Bates sign somewhere else and you tell them, yeah, we were in, we caught, we gave him a, we gave him an offer, but he picked somewhere else. That's fine. Yep. It doesn't matter at that point. So like that's all. That's kind of my point there. So listen, th- that's it. I'm gonna put a bow on it, Brad. Unless you have anything to add to it, I should have been meaning to get that out there. No, I would just say that like if you follow the pattern of the way that the news has been coming out or the local beat has been releasing names uh in in there's a pattern to it right like there's a pattern to it all it's just big name area of need here's why we think that but there's no it's there's no no news there it's all speculation and of course to your point it can be backed up by saying well yeah they called on them or they took a call on them right or uh, and that's all I said. So uh, not much of value there. Uh, a lot of speculation and being uh, made to look like uh, insider news. 100%. That's just the game you're playing. So after the fact stuff, that's that's more trustworthy these days. It's just going to be the angle. So, yeah, let's take a quick break. Uh, we get yep. back from break. We're going to hear a couple good ones from Brad. So uh, we'll be right back. Okay, so Brad, I think you have a couple good ones here. Uh, let's dive into your first one, and then we'll have a conversation around that, and then jump on to number two. Go ahead. All right. Well, this one kind of leads off of what you were talking about, but more about an individual player. So Jesse Bates, we've heard the smoke, right? And to your point, there's probably not a lot behind it, um, but I, I do think that okay, he's he's projected around 15 million. I think he may get more than that. I don't know. We'll see what kind of market develops for him, right? He's the best safety on the market. Um, my question is like I don't think I don't think they are gonna sign Jesse Bates personally. I don't think they will. Uh, I because I, I think 15 million dollar APY, Jake is just too much to spend on the safety position period, like on a free safety. Uh, I think you can get a good one for $5 million a year uh, and affect the game the same way. Am I, is Jesse Bates a transcendent type player that is worth that kind of money? Like, is he that much better than Rodney McLeod or, or, or Juan Thornhill that he's worth that extra money? I think Jesse Bates is really good. I think he's really good and really dependable. I I, I mean, I, I don't know that he's an unbelievable free safety, but he's very good at the niche of playing single high center field and some of the rotation-based things of middle of the field closed coverage, which is a specific element of safety play. One of yes. the elements that they tried to have John Johnson play and he didn't fit in. So I had this conversation earlier 
when it comes to Bates, I can be into signing him for a, a multitude of reasons. He's obviously going to take him out of Cincinnati and plug him into Cleveland, and you get to play Cincinnati twice a year. That, to me, is a driving force. Um, you, you, you do check the box with a 26-year-old really good player at a position you do need. But again, the, the point of it is they signed John Johnson and had him doing things he wasn't best at. If you're not going to use him in almost the exact same way as what Cincinnati did with him, you're wasting your money. That is a waste of money. And they made that mistake with John Johnson. Now, maybe they missed on Marcus Williams or he got tagged and they didn't expect it and they panicked, but that's the problem. You don't sign Jesse Bates just to sign a safety. You have to know what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. And if it's the things I'm talking about, he's better than most people. Almost, He's better than anyone on the market. But if it's not and you're doing more too high, split high, hybrid things where one time Grant Delpit's back and Jesse Bates is up and the next play you're rotating Bates back and Delpit is up, I don't want that. That's You could probably use Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. You could probably get Juan Thornhill to do that, Julian Love. If that's the, the plan then that's better suited. Like if you're needing a true post safety, a dog who's your middle of the field guy, leader of your defense type, Bates is worth that. He's good. I think he's really good and you can manipulate his contract to help alleviate some times and places you pay him. Yeah. But if you're not going to use him the right way and you're going to do more of what you did with the Titans, which was more too high stuff paired with Jim Schwartz's fronts, that's not worth it to me. You can do other things whether that's going and getting a guy and drafting a guy to do some different opportunistic things there, that makes sense. If you want a Malcolm Jenkins that was so important to your Philly time, if you want some of that, if you want a, a single high free safety dude, then you better sign Bates. If you're, you don't have to sign Bates, Brad, but he's worth that is what I'm saying. So I would understand that route is my point. If you okay. sign him to do something other than what he's great at, I will be pissed because that would be two straight safety contracts where you blew it so i hope that doesn't happen you know what i mean yeah um i just kind of have been firmly behind the belief that they won't go that high on that position but to your point he did talk about schwartz did talk about malcolm jenkins like that like as the the guy right he was the guy that he leaned on like he was his coach on the field and everything and if that is jesse bates and he feels that's jesse bates i guess that would be worth it um i'm kind of here's what i think i know about free agency jake i don't think they are going to go as big name hunting as everybody thinks like i don't think they're gonna I think Draymond Jones is going to price himself out of where the Browns want to be. I think he's going to be up towards $20 million. I think Jesse Bates is going to be too expensive uh, for a safety position. Because the, remember, the Browns have to address edge. They have to address not just one defensive tackle. They probably need two. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, they need a wide receiver somehow. Like, there, there's more than one need here. So, like, for me, it just doesn't feel... Like a twenty million dollar contract, and I know they can make it a lot, like a lot less cap hit than that, like this first year and stuff. But it just doesn't feel like the right move for me, or a Barry move. I think most of us are saying that, and I think the reason we are getting there 
is very logical. The the depth of key spots, D tackle, DN, and safety, we want them to address. Like we, I, I've had this conversation a lot where I've said, and I think I've said it on this pod recently with Andrew during franchise mode. Like you can go from a Taven Bryan, Jordan Elliott, uh, half a shell of whatever Jadevian Clowney was last year beside Miles Garrett, plus Tommy Togiai and you know uh, who else, Ben Stilley and Alex Wright to a group yeah. that would be David Onyemata, Sheldon Rankins, uh, yep. uh, Okoronkwo paired with another one, Demarcus Walker, plus a draft pick edge at 42 or 98 and a drafted defensive tackle and Winfrey. Like you could go very simply, in my opinion, with around $20 million of free agent money this offseason to having an absolutely laughable bad defensive line to having a scary good group not yeah. by spending big money. So a lot of us are looking at this as free agency. They should be looking to be very frugal and bring in ceiling, sorry, basement raising players to get some position groups up to par. And thing that is nice is that the D tackle DN groups, which is what we have tried to highlight at the OBR is full of players that are not making big money, but are contributing in big ways. All these 49ers guys, Arden key along with some talk about that path a cheaper free safety of Thornhill, pairing it with all these others, makes sense. The problem is we have not really seen them do that. We've seen them go out and swing big names. John Johnson, the top free agent safety, a couple yeah. of years back. Now, they, they they were very frugal last year for obvious reasons as they were very unsure the dynamic of Deshaun Watson. Now, not to say, I mean, they, they obviously went out and swung at the top quarterback on the market and paid him yeah. a ton of money. Yeah. So that's yeah. three straight years, if you think about it, Brad. Hooper Conklin... John Johnson, Deshaun Watson, and really Amari Cooper, one of the bigger wide receiver swings, they've gone big names. Yep. They have. This would be different for them to not go get a Bates or a Draymond Jones and instead get four, five, six of those bargain bin types, which, again, I think those bargain bin types, as we're trying to point out, would be a good route. So I, again, am having a hard time and I think our Slack channel just had a discussion on this that's pretty prudent that, like, we have to also expect they might not go the way we think they should here. Um, yeah. That's very that's very plausible. So, you know, I mean, they, they should see what we see, and I hope they do. Because if they don't and they bring back Taven Bryan and they do some things up front again, I'm going to have a real hard time with it, man, because you you should want to rotate a bunch of names. And I understand yeah. that the Browns really only want to pay people who are going to take large snap count numbers for them. It's pretty evident by who they've really, really paid is high volume snap count people like I get it. But you have got to figure out how you take that NFL JV defensive line outside of your one workhorse and get it better because it cannot it cannot be replicate like the 49ers are laying out a path for you the eagles who you just brought in a guy who was you know relatively close not too long ago to what they were doing successfully it's a horses you got to have horses in the race man you cannot have one thoroughbred you got to have many thoroughbreds that you can rotate in and out you know if you got 20 in a horse race you got to have seven or eight to have a chance maybe you don't have one great one in a horse race but you got seven or eight that's what they got to do, but they also have the what is what was the uh, was it War Admiral was the Sea Biscuit horse right? yeah it was yeah phenomenal like that memory call back there like yeah. they have that guy still but they should be yeah. looking 
to supplement it with a bunch of other guys who are just pretty damn good. They don't have to be great, just pretty damn good. And stop trying to skimp on that part. Yeah, uh, that that's my thought. And, uh, you know, I've even written exactly those names like Anyamata, Rankins, uh, whoever, uh, Okoronkwu, and, you know, even like a Frank Clark makes a ton of sense to change the way that your front looks, right? It, without having to go get Draymond Jones and spend $20 million. So that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at, and I know a lot of us feel the same way because it, it seems like there is value in this free agency class at the positions the Browns need. So, um, but you're right. That's not what Barry has done. And I guess uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but very well said. Uh, point number two here tonight for me. I have two tonight. I'm cheating. Um, but the other thing I think I know is that Matthew Barry is a little off here in his... Uh, well, he went to the Combine and he came back and he wrote a very interesting piece, right, about things he learned at the Combine. And one of the topics was the Browns' offense, right? And he went into... Uh, he pointed at the, like, the Saints game and said in bad weather they still threw it X amount of times, and that's more what the Browns' offense is going to look like. Uh, they're going to have uh, they're going to actually run some five wide. They're going to throw it forty times, and Chubb's probably only going to run it like twelve times a game. Like, okay, I get where he's going with this topic, but to what we kind of talked about, nobody runs five wide. Yeah, they'll run spread. Nobody runs five wide. If he's saying that they are going to run more 11 personnel, all for it. That's what they should be doing, right? Uh, the, the five wide spread, like this isn't college football. They're not going that direction, right? Like, so uh, this, that I think is a little bit of an overstatement um, on it. And then the whole 40 and 12 thing, I get that, and it may end up like that sometimes, Jake, uh, if they're in a shootout or whatever. Like, I, I don't think they're going to be afraid to throw it 40 times with Deshaun Watson this year. They shouldn't be. But I think ideally, like, in a game that's like uh, 31 to 27 against a good team, it should be like 35 and 17, ideally uh, you know 35 throws and 17 carries for chubb or whatever um just to kind of point like i think he's going to one extreme there i get what he's saying but he's kind of going to one extreme we want to see an up uptick in 11 personnel uh first of all they don't have the wide receivers to put that many guys on the fi five wide that's they don't have the wide receivers for that first of all and also nobody uh, does it so yeah, even the nobody does like it yeah. Cardinals had 10 personnel of 5% last year. That was by far the most in the league. And 5% is a very low number of your total snaps. People just want tight ends involved. They want the flexibility of the run game. Yes. Like your point is right. 30, maybe, maybe if they sit there and draw it up, 35, 17 is the number. I think every coach would tell you, we want to get as many runs in a game as we possibly can largely because the theory to me that is that is prudent is that you throw to score and you run to close out and win the game like the the idea the thing that's hard is everything is game flow dependent and i'm not saying just when yes. you're winning or losing defenses are doing things to dictate what they're going to be vulnerable with at any given time 
the Super Bowl is a great example. Philly is a run-driven team, but the way that KC was selling out and putting themselves into run fits, they said, we just got to throw it, and they threw it all over the field. Like, I think the thing that was great among many things that was great in the talk Kevin Stefanski had with the guys over at PMT was when they mentioned, hey, get Nick Chubb 25 carries. I'll write that on your play sheet. He's He wrote, he said something along the lines of, score points like just find yeah. call plays that score points not call plays that give Nick. they he just is worried about plays that score now you know everybody gets frustrated and and i when the, when the results don't hit and they want to blame things but it's not like you can't go into a game and i'm not saying you're saying this or anyone else uh relative to what you're talking about is saying this but there are plenty of people who believe that like they got to hit a threshold of carries to win and like that's right. what Kevin was laughing about. Like, hey, what if I gave Nick the 25 touches? The first 25 plays are just handoffs <laughs> to Nick Chubb. It doesn't, that's not, that's not how it works. So yes. obviously you want to throw or do whatever plays. A defense is giving you a light box. You're going to run it. You're not going to, you would, you, you can't say that this doesn't happen. There are stubborn people that call plays in the league. But if the yes. defense is allowing you to do certain things, then take advantage of those. And, the thing the Browns should be trying to do is create more ways for them to take advantage of what defenses do because I think they've limited themselves in years past. I posted a video today up on our Slack of a play that was just a cluster F, and that was in Deshaun's first game back against the Texans because I was looking at Okoronkwo film, and I was like, you guys tell me what you see, and I'll write about it at some point. But it was just an offense that the timing and everything was off. like It was just a mess, and to me – their true direction going forward is less. We have to run empty 16 times a game and we have to run, uh, mm. we have to run inside zone four times a game. And, you know, we got to run counter three times. Like that is not how it works. You have to figure out game plan, what you think is going to work, get into the game, figure out what the defense is doing, alignment and movement and post and pre and then go from there and do whatever is going to work to score points. And like you look at a game after it, and if the Browns are up, they win comfortably. They're going to run the ball a ton late. That's going to lead to 20 to 25 carries for Nick. It's very simple process stuff here that people yeah. don't want to understand. So yeah, Which, in an ideal world, if a score is like status quo is very close within seven points of each other throughout the game, your point, Brad, a 34-point game just a moment ago, yeah, they probably would like to throw it like at the double the rate that they run it. That just that's like throwing the ball has a ton more advantages in the NFL, and like it's it's so much easier to create win probability off of throwing. It's double. It's I mean it's a double positive when you throw it well. So they paid Deshaun a ton of money. He's supposed to be this quarterback that they're going to be building everything around, and he's the future of this place whether some people like it or not. So that's the driving factor in the way the offense should be moving forward. And in an, in a, in a situation where someone puts you, says sit down at this table and here's a gun to your head and you have to give me an answer, what's the split going to be? I think you're right. But I think, again, if you go back and look at the six Deshaun played, it's a little all over the map because, again, yeah. it's game flow dependent. On and it always will be, yeah. It for, is. To, it for is. your point, it always will be. But in a perfect world, I think that's how you would draw it up. And and, and it's not going to be perfect, so it's going to be different. But I think that the change that we see in the offense isn't so much like to what 
he was writing about, I guess, I would think the change in the offense would be to like, hey, listen, our quarterback is tremendously talented and a weapon here, and we are going to use him to score points against you whenever we can, as opposed to um, trying to find a way to be effective in the pass game without accentuating his talents, which I think they've done in the past, right? Or, or try to be effective in the past game without just leaning on him. They need to find a way to just lean into what he does really well. Um, and that's more of the change of what the offense should be. Not afraid to throw it a lot because you have him back there. Um, and it's not an afraid thing. It's just he's your best player. You're best player that way. Yes. And it's yeah. the it's the it's the rule favored thing in the NFL. You should be doing it. You should be doing it. And then finding opportunistic ways to give Nick the ball off of that. And again, I people ask me this stuff all the time. And I'm like, J- I'm not saying this to be a smart ass. Call plays that gain you yards and score you points. I'm not going to tell you to call power here. I'm not going to tell you to run a quarterback sneak on fourth and run and one. Run the stuff that takes advantage of what the defense is giving you. Now, does that process always work? No, but I respect process over results, right? I could run a quarterback sneak and get lucky and fall into a crack in the line and pick up a yard. But if they're taking that away nine times out of 10, it's not going to work. So probably some form of like a speed option or a quick rollout off of a a dive fake and roll to some of that roll running back stuff. Like there are just better routes among many game situations I'm talking about here. So it's just... I'll say it again, man, like play calling. If you listen to me enough, it's the most overanalyzed and misunderstood art of any coaching aspect of any sport. I have no doubt about saying that with confidence. People have no idea what goes into it. They just have no idea other than what worked or didn't work. You'll see a great play, Brad. You know this, but you'll see a great play where the coach is like, I had nothing to do with that. He just threw it to this guy and he went up and caught it. Right. Or you'll see the best design play in the world that springs open this backside dig the way you want to do it. And the quarterback steps up to throw it and he slips and it's an incomplete pass and you look like an idiot. It just people have no idea. And uh, it frustrates me to all end. But again, I've just I really appreciate the rational thought process Kevin brings to it. And whether that works out, I don't know. But I think he's um, his his angle on it, his his process that he uses to do it is really sound. Agreed. And uh, I, I just wanted to comment on that because I felt like that write up was a little misleading to what we're like people are going to see. Um, and I, I just wanted to say it, just comment on that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great thing to bring up. And I, and I think you. You run the risk of people C five wide not understanding that it's still eleven personnel and it's yes. not it's not Mike Leach, Washington State, Texas <laughs> right. Tech football. Like right. it's not that. It's it's uh it's used for a reason. It's used very strategically, and then they go back to what is more popular in the NFL today and what is best suited to, to handle the athletes out there. So, you know, again, in the NFL you can't throw it all the time and you can't run it all the time. You have to seek balance or these athletes are too good to to beat consistently for 60 minutes. So you have to be creative. And, and from that is a creative angle of empty. It's a great thing to take advantage of at times, but Browns aren't going to be running like 35 dropbacks from empty. It's not going to happen. It's, there's no way. I have, a, 
I have a question for you. Just popped into my head, and then this is probably a good forum to ask for. And it just take a second here. Uh, are you surprised that the Giants gave uh, Daniel Jones the contract they gave him? I mean, am I surprised? No, because I think they, the guys that they brought in, Kafka and Dable, think they can continue to develop him. And think they could continue to get him comfortable. He's got he, he's got some things you like. He's very athletic, yeah. way more athletic than people understand. He's a plus in the run game. Um, yeah, they with, figured out with, how to use him. Yeah, as a yeah. runner. Um, with with the quarterback market where it is, I just um, I think it's easy to say. Well, why wouldn't the Giants just let Daniel Jones go test the market and offer up Lamar? Well. You know, the, the Ravens could match a lot of offers and then you would be left because maybe Daniel Jones signs a deal with somebody else, right, where he takes an offer from someone else and you end up with no quarterback and you're in a rock and a hard place. And, like, I just think that they made a, a deal that's not – it wasn't like a record-setting quarterback offer. It wasn't crazy, but it does show that they think he's getting better. They think he's continuing yeah. to improve. Uh, what Would I have liked it? I can't tell you whether I would have liked it or not, given I don't study Daniel Jones closely. I would yeah. have like when I saw that deal, I was like, wow, I don't think yeah. I would have liked it from yeah. where I'm sitting for my team because I don't see Daniel Jones ever being an elite, elite guy. But right. um, they must like his trajectory and they must not feel comfortable getting back into the quarterback circuit right now. That's just my thought. So here's the thing that that throws me off on it, right? And I was looking at, at this stuff and listening to some people talk about it. Um, and Daniel Jones is a rank average quarterback by every metric you can look at in the NFL except for one. And it's EPA, like per play. So like, and the thing that, that affects EPA more than even quarterback play is coaching. So really the result of what the Giants have done is very much based around Dable, I think. So like, couldn't you go get a young quarterback with Dable and get the same result? That's my thought. Yeah, and I think that their fan base is fair to ask that. Now, would their pick align with that? No, they would have to move up. Um you know, they'd have to move up. They, they, they I mean, like Hendon Hooker wouldn't yeah. be able to come in and play right away because that's like the next guy outside of the top four. So, yeah, I mean, in theory, I think you're right. I think they, that there should be a vibe of confidence from Dable and uh, Kafka, who I think are smart guys who are doing a nice yeah. job. But they might think, look at the development we got out of Daniel. Can we get him on the right path? And, and then it launches. So it's a risk. There's risks on both sides of Daniel Jones. I, I certainly will never blame a team for being cautious about this stuff because it's jobs on the line. Yeah. It's like we, we continue to do these things with him. We can continue to be good enough. Maybe somehow he gets elite elite and he becomes better somehow gets really to the point that he could win a Sasub. Not that he's going to be Mahomes, but he could be yeah. a helpful part of, like, you know, clearly enough. Helping, he but can be, be a enough. reason. He could be mm -hmm. a reason we win some games. And, like, there, again, like, it's easy for people like you and me, and, and again, we're not being nefarious here, but it's easy for us to say, why wouldn't you take this risk of letting go a quarterback who got a lot better because you could replicate it? And it's like, 
okay, they try that. They don't draft a quarterback they wanted because they couldn't get a trade up, and they're stuck with, like, I don't even know, uh, Teddy Bridgewater for next right. year. And it's like yeah, they go 7-10 and 10 two straight years, and they're all fired. So there is, a ra- like, there is a level of comfort and safety because it does keep you your job and I understand that, and I don't. I, and into the big picture of the NFL, I don't think that gets discussed enough. Like, yeah. there's the human element of the NFL that I think people kind of fail to understand because you 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 have to have a great relationship with your owner to take big risks. And I think the big example of this, Brad, is Sashi Brown. Like, there's no better example of this than yeah. like you taking a gigantic risk. And, it, and you're like, I think we have the backing of this. We have the belief of this. But do you, when things get really tough, if the Giants were to go 8-9 and nine and then 5-12, and 12, do you really think the owner's going to sit there and wait for you to figure out quarterback when you could have just kept Daniel Jones, who maybe signed with the Raiders and is doing just fine for them? You know, yeah. like, so there's just... Uh, yeah, I get that. Like, that. It, it just feels like um, in, in the... And to your point, like they figured a lot out. Like it feels like they paid a lot for familiarity, right? Like they know what they have in him. They know what worked. They figured out how to use him in the run game successfully, especially in the playoff game. And like, so like, but now they're giving him what's going to be, it's, I mean, the contract breaks down to like two years, $80 million is really the, the, the bulk of the contract. Right. And then after that, they can get out. So like, you're going to give him $80 million over two years for familiarity's sake, because I don't think he's a great quarterback, but maybe that's worth it to them. I don't know. It's an interesting uh, dis- discussion. Yeah. And that's you get to run it. two years of it, and like at that point, maybe, it, hey, we keep Daniel, and we say this can go two ways. Daniel can get better, or he could stay about where he is or get a little worse. And then we probably will get the ownership to tell us we can take another swing at quarterback. But if we sure. take that swing right now, we're getting our second quarterback opportunity. We might be done. I do just think there's a human element to all yeah. of this, which is yeah, really, really. you have to look really, at your job. Because like, you will look at really good data. And I think that the really good data stuff was like an, an evidence by the decision to extend Nick Chubb. Like, Everybody thought that if any team was going to let a running back go without a second contract, it was the Browns. Well, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, there's only one team, and I mentioned it a week ago on the pod. Like, there's only one team, the Steelers, who played hardball with a running back that was going to get another contract. They they hit yep. Le'Veon Bell with those two con, uh, franchise tags before he ended up ultimately sat out a year and mm-hmm. then signed with the Jets. So, like, I just think that when you really get a good player – a guy who's a, a truly top four or five player is in in his era, a transcendent type the way some of these guys are. At least you think they are. Like at the time Zeke signed his deal, you thought he was he was doing big things. Like it's hard for you to just stomach, we're going to just let him at 25, 26 hit the market. It's hard. It's easy to tell yourself that the data tells you to do this and reallocate the resources but when you're trying to keep a job and you're trying to win as many games as possible in order to do it, you start to see those decisions made, right? Like the the Jack Conklin one might be evidence of what we're seeing here where they yeah. say, yeah, we can maybe let Conklin go and give Hudson a chance to get this right. But boy, would we feel sick if in the next two years our right tackle kept holding us back 
we would feel really sick if that was the situation because we just didn't give Jack Conklin this, this market value type of deal. So I just think there's some of that stuff that people rip guys for. Like they're trying to n- not only win games, but they're trying to look at risk factors and all that goes into that and how that means they're going to keep their jobs and keep taking swings at this thing. So that's kind of my stance on it. That, 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 that just, just like play calling, some of us overlook a lot of important aspects. I think it's pretty similar in uh, decisions made at the higher up GM type of situations. Yeah, self self preservation. I I get it totally. Yeah, and it's and it's hard, right? It's not it's not always like you're being evil to the detriment of your team, but you're also being realistic about, hey man, where like, you want to go? The, what is my yep. owner's perception of this if I screw it up? Because it, the NFL, you could screw up any big decision, right? At any moment, no doubt, could be screwed up. So tough stuff. Listen, this was fun. We're gonna keep getting together on Sunday. Listen, next time we do this, we might have some actual free agents and some real. Yeah, buddy. And some things I'm fired up. I probably won't sleep. (laughs) I don't think many of us will they make some of those big deals because we'll have a lot of content to write up uh, simultaneously. (laughs) So check out the OBR for everything. We'll continue to um, to put this stuff up and, and, and cover every single decision they make and tell you the whys and rationale for what we think. Uh, went into their thought process and all that. So it's a big week of coverage for us, big week for you as Browns fans, and we hope you enjoy uh, what we do for you and hopefully you enjoy what the Browns do to make the football team better. So for Brad, for myself, for All Eyes on Cleveland, OBR Film Breakdown, and the collective group over at the OBR, we appreciate you stopping by on this fine Sunday or Monday whenever you're listening to this. Have a fantastic day and go Browns.